Welcome to the indie episode of Pulp Fiction. Thank you for tuning in. I am uh, Brandon Rabar, and I am joined as always by Jacob Crisp and Rachel Jameson. This week we are going to review Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, and we are going to count down our top five favorite indie movies of all time. Now, uh, first thing we're going to do, though, is talk about Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. We- I have no idea how to tell this story. I don't even know how to start it. This is the story of my senior year of high school and how it destroyed my life. Your father and I want to talk to you about something sad. Rachel Kushner has been diagnosed with leukemia. That sucks. It sucks. It sucks quite a bit. You might be someone who could make Rachel feel better. I don't need your stupid pity. I'm not here because I pity you. I'm actually here because my mom is making me. It's actually worse. Everyone was going to find out sooner or later. One thing you can do if you don't want to talk to anyone is just enter a subhuman state. Pretend you're someone annoying. Hi, Rachel. I'm really sorry you have cancer. (laughs) That's exactly what I'm talking about. So if this was a touching romantic story, our eyes would meet, and suddenly we would be furiously making out with the fire of a thousand suns. But this isn't a touching romantic story. Anyway. Yep. Who is this little friend? Earl's just my co-worker. I've known him since kindergarten. What you got, cat? Wanna fight? Didn't think so, punk-ass cat. So you and Greg are co-workers? Nah, we friends. Dude's terrified of calling somebody his friend. Dude's got issues. But how are you co-workers? We make films. Movies? They're terrible. Greg, you never told me. The idea behind each one was, we took a film that we liked, and we made the title stupider, and then made a new film to reflect the new title. It's a formula that only produces horrible films, but for some reason we keep using it. You need to make a film for Rachel. Hi, Rachel. I don't really know you, but I believe in you. I know you're Jewish, but God has a plan for you. Out of all the people in the school, I don't hate you. Damn. You guys were making a movie for me. We tried a bunch of stuff, and it's not that good. Now is not the time for your, I'm Greg, I suck, nothing I do is any good thing. We agreed to do a film that we have no idea what it should look like, or even be. What was I thinking? I'm so tired of you treating this girl like she a burden. Because somebody actually cares about you, her life is over after this. Life can keep unfolding itself to you just as long as you pay attention to it. It was the best of times. Worst of times. It's so much harder than I thought it would. It was life. We talked about on the show doing indie movies. So far, we've kind of only covered blockbuster movies, um, but we thought it would be fun to cover an under the radar movie. This one, if you haven't seen it, let me give you a quick description. High schooler Greg, who spends most of his time making parodies of classic movies with his coworker Earl finds his outlook forever altered after befriending a classmate who just happened to be diagnosed with cancer. Um, it is directed by Alfonso Gomez Rejon, who also directed 12 episodes of American Horror Story and the indie horror movie The Town That Dreaded Sundown, and strangely enough, eight episodes of Glee. It stars Thomas Mann as Greg, R.J. Seiler as Earl, and starring Olivia Cook of Bates Motel fame as Rachel. Jacob, I'm going to kick it over to you first. What were your initial thoughts on me and Earl and the Dying Girl? Just an overview. Well, when I saw the trailer, uh, I was pretty excited. I had texted you all uh, immediately, like, let's go watch this movie. So upon viewing the movie, 
Um, actually, I think I was a little bit disappointed. Uh, I mean, I liked it. I thought it was visually well done, but at the same time, I almost feel like it didn't have much of a, let's see, a, much of an identity of what kind of a movie it wanted to be. Mm -hmm. Because we had a movie about a, a boy who wanted to help a girl with cancer. And it kind of shifted more on him. And I kind of had a lot of issues with the main character, um, Greg, uh, initially. And then as far as like the technical issues <clears throat> go, or if you want to call them issues, I think it was filmed really beautifully. But at the same time, the director found every possible camera angle and use of a camera to use throughout this entire movie, and it became a little bit overkill. Now, does that make it a bad movie? No, but it, it became very distracting me mm -hmm. at some points. So that aside, he had some great shots and great angles, but every single shot was a great shot, a great angle. Right. And at some point, I was like, hey, just hold it still. And that's, yeah. like, that's like the actors act. So I'll, I'll, I'll put that aside. But, you know, I thought the movie was okay. It hit some slow spots for me. I liked the ending a, a, a whole lot, mm -hmm. um, which we can get into in a little bit. But um, generally, I thought it was just—I thought it was just okay. I was a little disappointed. Rachel, what do you think? What'd I actually think? liked it quite a bit, and I didn't, for whatever reason, I wasn't really distracted by the camera angles at all. That didn't affect me when I was watching it, um, and I didn't have a problem with Greg either. Um, he was a character that, to me, he was a very complex character. He wanted to hide his emotions, uh, but at the same time, they were also really obvious. He called his best friend Earl, his co-worker, wanted to be closed off, but still wanted to be loved. I understand that kind of character, so I understand how he could be off-putting to some people, but I actually didn't have a problem with him. Uh, Rachel was really likable, just like she is in, in Bates Motel. Uh, Olivia Cook kind of has been pegged as the the sick girl but she's really good in that role and she was really likable but my favorite character actually was earl who didn't get as much screen time as i thought he would considering i figure it should be equal parts uh greg earl and rachel considering the title but earl to me was the best character in the entire movie i would agree with that too yeah absolutely i i actually kind of wish it was called me and Greg and the dying girl, and it was Earl speaking, but, so he could be the main <laughs> character. He was by far the best thing about the movie to me. I, I see what both of you are saying. Uh, definitely, as far as the the camera shots and things like that go, I think it was almost kind of trying to trying too hard type of thing. Yeah. Uh, trying to like show off, like look at all the things I learned and which to me is what would be school. typical of someone. Yes, that you just right. said it. Yeah, and I I think that. Here's the deal. I was pretty excited about this movie from the trailer. Jacob mentioned the trailer. Uh, the part where Earl, as a little kid, is talking trash to the cat and says, you know, something about, come on, you punk-ass cat. <laughs> like, wanting to fight it. I was, like, hooked. I wanted to see it from that moment. And I'm a big indie movie fan. Uh, usually, you know, at the end of the year, you know, two-thirds of my top, you know, 20 or 30 are always indies. So... I'll say I was excited about it and I was disappointed. My main gripe, though, was that I liked the movie for about three-fourths of the movie. I was really into it. I was really digging everything. I, was, I thought it was a good mix of comedy and drama. Uh, there was this kind of dread hanging over it. But towards the end, and of course, if you listen to Pulp Fiction, you know that we do spoilers here. Uh, so, spoiler alert. But the dying girl actually dies. Now... Oh, you, big spoiler alert. I, I, I know that this may be 
may not sound like a big deal, but to me, the narrator told us two or three times before that, don't worry, this girl's not going to die. Don't worry, she's not going to die. And I know that it was supposed to be like kind of a shock, kind of a twist, that she actually does die, but it fell really flat for me because it pissed me off because at this point he becomes an unreliable narrator. Yep, I'm in complete agreement on this. I, I, yes. It just ticked me off. Right. And And I was pulled out. It was supposed to be an affecting scene. It was supposed to... I feel like I was supposed to be moved. I was supposed to be, you know, drawn to tears. None of that happened. I actually, more than sad or anything, I was just ticked. I was like, you lied to me. You, you just, the screenwriter did this just to get a twist, and and it felt really cheap. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty weak. It was. And, and kind of, uh, kind of in essence, like a little bit of bad writing in a way. Like yes. Kind of, like, hey, we might trick you. Or, but we're not. We are, but. I, exactly. Yeah. A twist isn't a twist if you trick somebody. Like. You can't purposely trick somebody and then call that a twist. Yeah. You can't lie to the viewer. Because I wasn't surprised that that happened, were you? I wasn't surprised, but in my head I was like, if this girl actually dies, and I won't be surprised if it happens, but if it does, I'm going to be pissed at you. And it happened, <laughs> and I was pissed at them. Yeah, because at no point during this movie did she ever feel like she was getting better. No. So it's like, okay, this girl's going to die. So I, I saw it coming a little bit. Um, I was a little surprised, just a little bit, but... For the most part, I I wasn't. <laughs> Another thing, though, the the scene itself felt flat because this whole movie. I will say now, not only say the things I liked about it. Earl was amazing. He was he was the funniest part he of the movie. The he character. was the strongest character. Yep. He was the smartest character. Yep. Uh, he had the most heart. Like everything, you know. And we learned a lot about Greg uh, through him. Because Greg was so closed, like Rachel had said, that we learned a lot about him through his friend Earl. I loved him, and I loved the parodies of the classic movies. Those were hilarious yeah. and clever and well done. I really yeah, enjoyed those, great. too. But leading up to that, so so this whole time we're leading up to this point to where Greg reveals to Rachel this movie that he and Earl had been making for her. And it was this weird, abstract, it was just a bunch of shapes and objects moving and that fell flat. Like, we see them cry, and we see the reaction, and you're supposed to be moved by that. But at this point, you know, I'm like, this. I feel no connection whatsoever to this. So then it fell flat, and then she died, and then I get pissed off. So the whole last fourth of the movie, I'm just ticked at the movie. Plus, you kind of wish they would have used uh, uh, Earl's uh, monologue to her. You know, yes. They're, they're, like, just kind yes. of a missed opportunity. Yeah, his, his video to her, which was so simple, it was just a simple I love you type message. And it was actually really moving. Right. Whereas the abstract one, I mean, I didn't have a complete problem with it, but it it kind of didn't make much sense as far as like they made all these other movies that were spinoff of, you know, great classics. Right. But then when it comes to a movie for her, all it is is a bunch of moving shapes. And, right. And so I think the appointment was to show their reaction watching it more so than watching the film. And so, of course, you had that music that was building up. Right. And it was supposed to draw our emotions out of it. And I can see how that would to some to some people but for me i just didn't have much of a reaction to it um i think it's just because i saw the direction the movie was going in i think what i enjoyed more so about it was what happened after she passed away and he goes up into her bedroom and he finds the squirrels that were drawn on the wall and he starts going through her books and you know starts seeing you know how they had been carved out which i'm still a little confused on there's a quote in the movie that i missed that y'all had said that it was a, a link to yeah um, shane 
Shane's character, Walking Dead Shane. <laughs> yeah. John, John Byrne. John Byrne. John Byrne. Yes. Uh, <laughs> said at some point, that's the whole, there was an entire scene where he was talking to Greg about how when his dad passed away, he didn't really know his dad that well. He only remembered these certain things and they weren't the best things about him, but he was hearing about his dad from all of his friends and he kind of learned a different side of his dad that he never knew. So he said that you can still learn about people after they pass away, which I think is what it all came back to. So it's kind of like getting to know them still. But apparently Jacob zoned out. That must have been my sleeping phase (laughs) of the movie. There was like somewhere about an hour into it. I kind of zoned out. I don't know. I I mean, I don't pick up my phone ever watching movies or I try not to. I just miss that. So, but I I really thought that was a kind of a cool touch to it. I just kind of wish they would have done that earlier in the movie. It just seems so late in the film. We realized how creative she was. And here we have Earl and Greg and they're, uh, you know, these two creative characters. And all of a sudden we realize that she's creative too. Mm-hmm. And right. it's like, I, and again, kind of a missed opportunity. I wish they would have kind of capitalized on that. Yeah, I think the whole point was definitely, like Rachel said, to to prove, to connect with the, the Shane Spiel. I'm just going to call it Shane too. It's easy. That's all anybody knows. You know, like Shane from Walking <laughs> Dead, we're saying. Uh, his speech as a teacher then was, you know, to, to Greg, it was to make that whole connection there at the end, which is fine. But like you said... I feel like it was a missed opportunity for me more so just because Rachel was almost just the dying girl throughout the movie. It's like that was her character. She didn't really develop much outside of I'm dying. This is sad. Like she was a strong person. She went downhill. I I get that. But I'm just saying like we didn't really get to see much of her besides what was going on with her physically. I don't feel – and how that was affecting her emotionally. But what are her her interests? What's her back – like you know what I'm saying? Uh, I felt like we could have got to know her better than we did. Since we are talking about John Bernthal, uh, Shane from Walking Dead, a special shout-out, though, to Sporting Cast, which I actually thought was one of the strengths of the movie. Uh, Nick Offerman, who, of course, is Ron Swanson from Parks and Rec. Uh, he played Greg's dad. Connie Britton from Friday Night Lights and American Horror Story in Nashville played Greg's mom. Although she was just a slight character. Yeah, was she wasn't around very much. I personally really liked Nick Offerman and his kind of weird quirky character molly shannon played uh rachel's mom and she was just weird completely miscast she was this weird alcoholic almost pedophile yeah mom that you're supposed to feel sympathy for at some point but i was like i didn't feel it at all it was too awkward and actually i'm in disagreement with you i didn't care much for nick offerman i didn't understand why he needed to be so weird i know there are weird weird characters out there but we already have this this star or these these three um Main character. Main character, sorry. You know, Greg's already kind of off. Uh, I, I didn't really think Earl was that off, but, you know, they they were all a little different. Then we throw yeah. in more kind of off characters. Well, I mean, even uh, John Bernthal's character. I mean, everyone was, there was really not very many normal people, except for maybe, I guess, Greg's mom. But I, I thought Molly Shannon was a complete distraction and, yeah. and a bad casting choice. I agree. Well, and I, and I think that that's, as much as I love indie movies, one of I, that's kind of one of the staples too. Is sometimes they try to be too quirky, and it's like you you need normal characters in your story to not only balance out, but for the you know it makes the quirky ones stand out more. If it, it's a movie full of quirky people, then you know it's it doesn't feel real anymore. Well, are, we, are we letting me speak now? <laughs> you, I, 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 well, because I, I had a lot of points, yeah. but I don't remember much. <laughs> Try. I think I liked it. I think I enjoyed it more than either one of you did. Um, just overall, 
I really don't remember. Well, any I'm of trying my to points. think. Here's what I do like about the movie because I am sitting there just just picking it apart. I really thought R.J. Sada was strong. For, this is supposedly his first movie he's ever done. I thought Olivia Cook was really good, even though they didn't really utilize her too much. My main issues was with Thomas Mann, and he was just being whiny, and he became very selfish, especially the scene with him in the bedroom with her. And, I mean, because she completely turned me off to him. I had no sympathy to him whatsoever. And so it kind of made me not feel like, uh, well, when he went back to give her, her the, show her the video at the hospital, I mean, if I were her, I'd be like, dude, get out. You were just a jerk to me last time I saw you. I mean, in a way. I mean, I, they're, they're trying to build up this friendship, you know, that was already awkward to begin with. And it just never sold me. Rachel, we really just wanted to see how you was doing. Thanks. Yeah, chemotherapy. It really sucks. Great. What the hell, bro? Don't say it suck, dumbass. It does kind of suck. Yeah, but I mean, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, I guess. Um, uh, Look, you guys can go if you want. We're on drugs. Oh, oh, shit. Why are you on drugs? Well, we're accidentally on drugs. Accidentally? McCarthy gave us some soup. Yeah, well, McCarthy gave us some of his... You know, just regular normal soup, but then it was the last of the soup, so we had to go get some more uh, from a restaurant on the fifth floor of an office building. And in the same building, there was a Jamaican embassy, and we ended up getting trapped in an elevator with a Rastafarian guy, and he just hotboxed the whole elevator. So we were stuck in there for like 25 minutes, and we had to breathe the weird marijuana air. Earl, am I right? That's exactly what happened. So I know I'm supposed to be picking out good points. Well, I did. <laughs> well, I did pick apart the camera stuff. There were some great shots in there. I mean, some really good camera work. It just was a little overkill. But I mean, and like I said, it's an okay indie. And it's you know, I it's think not that's terrible. I think that's where the difference between my opinion and, and yours is because I I really didn't have a, that much problem with Greg. I get that personality. I understand. I did think they took it a little bit too far and made him too much of a jerk. I understand the initial response of you're not going to fight for your life. Like while you should be understanding of that, if that were my best friend or something that just decided that they were going to give up, I, I would feel a little bit of anger about that. But at the same time, I would also understand. I understand why somebody would lash out in anger, but then they kept it going for so long and made him totally unlikable. I understand that initial response of being angry. But that he just kept going, and then he picked a fight with Earl about it, about nothing. Yeah, that but, was... Yeah, it was... I, that was silly. It just went way too far with the anger thing. But in his own way, he, you know, he did all the things, and he tried to make up for it. He made the, the video. So was which, the movie about him or about the friendship? That's an interesting question. That is an interesting question, because if it's about him... Well, I don't know which way it would make me like it. More or less. If it's about it, him, I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because he wasn't that likable. Rachel liked him more than us, and I can see why. You know, like when he when he blasted her for what had happened was she decided she wasn't going to you know seek chemotherapy anymore, and she was just going to basically give up and die. And of course, he really really cared about her, so he lashed out at her. Obviously, he's not the kind of guy that can show his emotions, so he lashes out in anger instead and he does the same thing with Earl but I, I just don't feel once they did that it does kind of turn you off to him yeah I mean they, they let it go too long but to me I get he's not good with emotions he's completely shut off he does not want to be hurt 
And so the fact that he's letting this affect him at all, I just don't think he even knows, he understands his emotions or how to express his emotions or how to handle any of that. So it all came out wrong. But as a filmmaker, you could have pulled it back a little bit and not made him so unlikable. And I, I think they just pushed that envelope a little too far. But I understand his personality, and that's why I didn't really necessarily have a problem with him. I didn't love him or anything, but I got it. I, I didn't really question why he was being so weird or anything like that. I just think that they pushed it a little bit too far when he got angry. And then tried to bring it back around, but they had done so much damage that they couldn't quite bring me back around to, to feeling the same way about him that I did before. Well, and bringing it back around, that goes a whole lot to the video Basically, it was kind of a chance for redemption for him, not only from the eyes of Rachel, but from the viewer as well. Now, it worked on Rachel because she was moved enough by the video right. that she passed. That she you know, died. That she died, <laughs> which again, which again upset me too because I'm like, you're trying to hit me with a double whammy, a twist, moving me, and she's dying. And she all was so choked like, up, literally. Yeah. So. yeah. Uh, but the video obviously worked on her. But as a viewer, it doesn't work because I don't feel any sort of emotional connection to this video. So regardless of how moved she is, I don't feel it. Now, that's fine for Rachel. But then they also try to redeem him through what Rachel said about him in that letter that she left for him. But at this point, I don't really believe all the things that she said in that See, letter. See, you guys, I, I think there's a disconnect there with their friendship as well. Because uh, did it come off to you like he was a guy that just... Showed up because she was sick and made some jokes and left? Yes, because his mom made him. And I, I initially think, he goes, oh, my mom's making beer, so what do you say we just hang out for a little bit? Initially, that's what it was. I bought that it turned into so much more than that. Yeah, she was, I agree. She I was hurting. She It was a, a guy, a friend that was over there that wasn't treating her like a sick girl. He was I making agree. her laugh. It, it was something that kept her going, and so I really bought that relationship. It wasn't just a, an empty, my mom's making me do there this. There were a lot of shots where they would show them like just watching movies together and that they were spending time together even though there was no dialogue that was being passed. Right. So at least, I don't know if, if the time was supposed to be go throughout the, the school year or probably so since he was from, yeah, right, since you know, his, going to college. Yeah, year and his or grades went down. So within and a year's I think he time. said it was over six months, didn't he? Yeah, was, they gave yeah. a timeline of how yeah. long it was. I think it was like six months because his grades dipped. So I can kind of see that it just was it was awkward in the beginning. He was he was whiny in the end, even though he foreshadowed that she was going to live, and that ended up being like that. There were just there were a lot of disappointments. Although yeah. that didn't the the ending didn't necessarily piss me off. Uh, I understand the manipulation in it. Yeah, I just so. I just felt manipulated. It didn't ruin the movie for me, but I. It was unnecessary. I don't know why they I mean, I'd say that, like, so I went into this expecting a lot. Like, it has 80% on Rotten Tomatoes, 8.3 last we checked on IMDb. It may have gone down since then. Typically, they go down a little bit. But, I mean, those are really good ratings. And based on the preview and the fact that I loved indies, I was pretty hyped for it. So I was disappointed. But, I mean, up until, yeah, it's still an 8.3. Up until the last fourth of the movie, I would have given it, like, an 8. I was feeling like a solid 8. But the ending, I'd give like a three. <laughs> so I probably ended up giving it like a seven. I would cosh, like slightly give it a thumbs up or a fresh rating, but with a lot of disappointment mixed into that. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I would definitely give it a fresh. I'm not going to run out and buy it, and I'm not going to sit around and recommend it to all of my friends or anything, but I'm glad that I saw it and I enjoyed my time watching it. What would you do? Would you go? Would uh, you I'm go? about five or six right now. Five or six, yeah. yeah. I don't really have anything else to say about it, though. Yeah. <laughs> well, there it is. That is me and Earl and the dying girl. 
if you're considering watching it, uh, maybe we've lowered your expectations and you'll enjoy it more than <laughs> Jacob and I did. <laughs> and as much as Rachel did. So now that we have talked about uh, me and her own dying girl... Coming up, in honor of doing an indie review, we are going to count down our top five favorite indie movies of all time. But before we get to that, we'd like to talk about now what we've been watching this week. You know, as moviegoers and TV show watchers, what have you guys been watching this week? Um, I've watched uh, oh, about three things, I guess. If y'all remember, about three years ago, we went and saw um, all the short films here in Oklahoma yeah. City. And, yeah. and uh, we saw the... One of them in particular was Curfew, which actually won uh, Best Oscar, and uh, I really enjoyed it. I think my most memorable moment from that from that short film, especially, was the bowling alley scene, where she dances to this really cool uh, Cure sounding music uh, down the bowling alley. It was awesome, yes. and it, when you go online, that's all everyone talks about uh, is this is this particular scene, and it was a, a pretty cool little short film. Well, it was picked up and um, made into a long film, which was kind of interesting. To see how it, that transition from a short film to an extended, you know, regular film or whatnot. Ultimately, I didn't like the longer version of it. I thought it worked great as a short film. When you, they brought in a whole lot of elements dealing with, you know, drug dealers. They got Ron Perlman to be in it, so that was a That's pretty good cast. Um, but like his character was kind of silly. So you know, uh, ultimately, what I took away from it was uh, it was just kind of cool to see the transition. Just like say Bottle Rocket, for instance, to see right. how that was a short film went to, you know. A, you know, was was Anderson's right. first full film, uh, so that's really what I'm taking away from it. But I don't know how much I remember that. Yeah, no, I, I love the short. Yeah, Rachel and I always try to go out and see the Oscar-nominated shorts every year. We, we love doing it annually, and I, I definitely remember that bowling alley scene. And like you said, the music was fantastic. But yeah, I'd, I'd heard of this movie and I was excited because I knew that it was a feature-length version of Curfew. Oh, it's called Before I Disappear. I didn't even say that. <laughs> the, yeah, they renamed it to Before I Disappear, and it's on Netflix right now. Yeah, so I'd heard, uh, but. But then I saw the reviews, you know, and, and it was kind of like everybody that I'd read anything on, they basically said, I loved Curfew, but this was kind of disappointing. And I guess some stories just don't translate to a longer picture. They're just better if they're small, focused on one thing. Short Turn 12 was another one that I remember was That's a right. short. Right. And Which was a great a, movie. A great movie. But yeah, some of those really find success. Some I wanted to point out, because I thought this was really cool, Sean Christensen, who, who uh, did Curfew, um, well, he wrote, directed, edited, produced Curfew and Before I Disappear. And he wrote that song, Sophia So Far, which is the one huh. I'm talking about. Yeah. The guy's talented, but, you know, maybe we'll see him in a decade or so, years to come. But uh, for now, stick to the short films, bud. <laughs> All right. Anything else that you've been watching lately? Uh, let's see. Oh, just real quick. I did watch Jurassic Park 3. My mom insisted I watch it. And sorry, mom, it's still terrible. Um, <laughs> just terrible. <laughs> Didn't uh, she say that she like showed up? Oh yeah, coffee? she showed up on my doorstep, and she was like, "I insist she watches. I listen to your other podcast." <laughs> and I was like, "All right, fine." And I did, and I gave it back to her, and she's like, "Well, I just disagree with you." So <laughs> I don't know if she's gonna be more offended by the fact that she didn't like Jurassic Park three or that impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, Jacob's mom. <laughs> um, the other, the third thing I've been watching is uh, Parks and Rec, which I really kind of wanted to say for last because I know how much you two enjoy it. Love, Love it. Um, it. So for a first-time viewer, uh, I was really kind of blown away, really surprised at how good this show is. I yeah. thought it was going to be an office hack. You know, it was written by the same writers of The Office. And that's kind of how they advertised it, sort of, while it was still in the air. Because it still has the talking head format. And I remember seeing commercials for Parks and Rec and being like, I didn't find uh, Karen 
on the office that interesting. I'm not going to watch oh, yeah, another Rashida show. Jones. Rashida Jones' right. character. So. Yeah, that's. I was the same way. It just looked like a copycat. I so like, I don't think we jumped then until became, like but, season three. Uh, I think three, a lot of people would maybe. agree. I think from from what I hear everyone say, the first season wasn't strong, which I would also agree. It wasn't terrible, but it's only six episodes. Yeah, right. But yeah. it takes. It's about halfway through the second season where it's like, oh, I'm really kind of getting into these characters. Right. They decided to keep Chris Pratt around, which really was the reason I started watching it. I wanted to see what he was like before he did Jurassic World and and Guardians of the Galaxy, which honestly I found him to be one of the most annoying characters. It's so um, funny. I, I thought it was he he does get better as the I seasons love go on because like, I binge watched four seasons in like, a weekend. <laughs> you know, he grew on me a little bit, but he was pretty rough initially. Well, I think that, that with Parks and Rec, one of the things was they they the writers and the actors kind of developed the characters as they went along and kind of figured out what was working and what wasn't working. And I think that Andy kind of came off as he was always goofy, but I think he was almost one too stupid in the beginning and slightly a jerk. Yeah, they jerk. purposely wrote him as a jerk. They right. were gonna, they weren't gonna keep him on the show. He was gonna be Anne's jerky ex-boyfriend and right. then ditch him. But everybody really liked Chris Pratt and thought he was hilarious, and so they shifted his character to become more like the to real Chris more, Pratt, basically, right. where right. he's he's a lovable, goofy. You know, airhead right. type character. I think what I've taken away from watching these four seasons, especially so quickly, because I'll go back and watch it again for sure, because I just love some of the storylines. But uh, I have a man crush on Nick Offerman now. I think Ron <laughs> Swanson is an awesome character. Yeah, he's amazing. But really, uh, the most, well, what I like the most is how they establish the relationships between just two people, whether it be Nick Offerman and Aubrey Plaza, whether it be Rashida Jones and Chris Pratt, or Amy mm-hmm. Poehler and Rashida Jones. Like, they find a way to. To give everyone their own personal relationship, which is really cool, which is unlike The Office because there is so much kind of um, uh, clicks going on throughout yeah. that. Or yep. Initially, everyone loves Jim and Pam, but they kind of become jerks in the end. And they don't ever really go down this road, it seems, with Parks and Rec, unless you want to count Jerry, but whatever. Um, <laughs> I mean, I never really was a big Amy Poehler fan, to be honest. I just didn't see her in that much stuff, unless I was watching Saturday Night Live. And let's be honest, how Saturday Night Live has not been good for 10 years, right. so why would I watch it? So I kind of, I just find her like uh, adorable now and uh, just just a a sweet person. And the way her character is going, they're doing such a great job. Uh, I mean, she while while she's naive and but she still Mm -hmm. has all this like spunk and go get it like uh, attitude about it. Just so enjoyable to watch. I I really, I'm just surprised how much I like this show. Yeah, I know it's. I mean, it's your favorite comedy of all time, right? That's Maybe. a hard list to make, it, but it's my, up there. It'd be in my top it's, three. It's definitely up there. I mean, there. like for me, it's it's right there with The Office, Family Ties, uh, Arrested Development. Yeah, as as yes, as as a favorite of all time. Uh, but yeah, if if I were to make like a most likable TV characters of all time, like Leslie Nope would be in the off the top of my head. I can't think of a more likable. Oh, I put Ron Swanson in front of her, but she's but I mean, she's, just she's likable. Great, but, just like yeah. she's not my favorite Parks and Rec character, but you're talking about how adorable she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's just so likable. She is. She is a great character. Her and Phil Dunphy. Oh, Phil Dunphy. He's so I'm just so likable. So Both of them. Yes, uh, but yeah, I I'm just pumped that you're watching Parks and Rec. Me it's too. Kind of a, it's it's honestly, if you're not watching Parks and Rec, it really is a must. It's one of those that like, if you're a movie buff, if you're a TV show person. Pulp culture elitist, you almost have to watch Parks and Rec. You're it's kind of so smart. The say, humor so is so smart. Yes. Well, so outside of Chris Pratt, you two were the other reason I watched the show because I knew yes, I liked yes. it so High much. High five. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's basically it for me, though. Rachel? Um, 
my birthday was recently, and we did follow through and watch Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Right, and I watched yes. that for my birthday. Awesome. And it was as good as expected. It's well, not yeah. nearly as freaky as an adult. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we discussed Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and, and Jacob and I both have it listed as, you know, favorite animated movie of all time, basically. Which we should do sometime. Yeah, well, that's a good idea. That'd be a good list to do. Uh, with Inside Out being out, and I loved it so oh, much. Yeah. That'd be well, a, we totally that's... missed on that one. Yeah, missed opportunity. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, but um, yeah, but you but you genuinely loved it. Right? I, did I mean, it's, genuinely it, it love holds it. up. It's a great movie. It is. Uh, we also watched Dazed and Confused. Yes, because I had seen that, but that was when I was a teenager, and I didn't really remember. What did you much think about it as an adult? I liked it a lot better as an adult. Such as a teenager, I was like, okay, what's the point of this? And when is it going to get to the point of this movie? Oh, uh, like wait, now it's over? Uh, it was like 93-ish, I think. What? 94, maybe. Well, it's one of those movies I, I quote it all the time, and I get mad at her because she, you know, she'll always make fun of it. 93, right? I, I make fun of well, it. Well, you would be like, you. I'd ask you about it, and you're like, yeah, I saw it when I was a teenager. I was like, what's the point? Like, you, you never thought it was good, so I forced you to watch it. I assumed it. it was probably good, but yes, my recollection of no it point. was there's no point to this movie. Well, Which I there's never, not really, so well, no, it's I fine. Mean, it's, it's just a slice of life. Here's the I get that now. High school. Yeah. But 15 year old Rachel didn't get that. Coming of age story, yep. uh, period piece. Now, uh, I'm curious though, we never discussed it. Who is your favorite character in the movie? Because there's so many good characters in it. And I've watched it. You know, Matthew 20 McConaughey. Times. Yeah, he. Wooderson is. It's a given. Is hilarious. He is pretty good. Ben Affleck, though. He's a jerk. He's a jerk. But he, yeah. <laughs> that was before he got his teeth fixed. Uh, Slater, Slater, Slater. Sorry, go ahead. I can and then uh, we also watched Summer School. Which everybody in the crowd is <laughs> like, huh? Which I've never heard of that. No. Yeah. It's hilarious, though. If, if my friend Alex is listening right now, he's really pumped about it. Does he I know? told, Yeah, he oh. loved it. He's like, oh, man, that's the, out of all three of the movies. He was like, you watch Summer School? <laughs> yeah. You should have called me, it's, man. <laughs> came out in 1987. It's really good, actually. Directed by Carl Reiner. Yeah, see, and, I mean, a legit director. It's got Mark Harmon. It's got Kirstie Alley. By really good, I mean, Courtney it's not Lawrence like... Smith. A really good movie, but it was a lot of fun. It's a really entertaining, enjoyable it is. movie. It, it I mean, was probably characters. the one I enjoyed it? the most. What drew you to watch it? Brandon. Oh, okay. Just nostalgia. I, let him pick. I loved it when I was younger and watched it a lot. And I was like, I haven't seen this in forever. I want to watch it. Uh, so I'm going to make you watch it for your birthday. <laughs> right. The uh, poster says Bikini Crossing on it, so it looks fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. It really was and enjoyable. It's, it's kind of actually funny that they're advertising that way because it's not a sexual movie. No, like, it's well, not. It's not at all like a raunchy sex comedy mm -mm. whatsoever. So Great marketing. Yeah, that's best. just marketing. Yeah. yeah. But Kirstie Alley was a hottie back then. Kind of makes you realize. Like if you're if you're like 20 years old and all you've known is you know kind of the older bigger Kirstie Alley uh seeing her in this would be really shocking uh we also watched like who's talking <laughs> we got on a Kirstie Alley kick I was hey I was really drawn yeah. to her I actually I actually liked the first one you know yeah it was a fun movie cute for whatever for whatever it was yeah so ridiculous uh what else did we watch, we uh, watched, I, th I think that was I we think watched was one the... more I feel like um well, I tried to make her watch L.A. Confidential. But... Oh, have you not seen that? 
That's like one of my favorite movies. No, I haven't. <laughs> I, I've oh, all right. Gosh. I, Jacob, let me let me tell you a little something about Rachel. I'm a big James Elroy fan. He's who wrote those novels. And uh, sorry, go ahead. Let me preface this by saying there were extenuating circumstances. Now you can make your statement. <laughs> she was tired and whatnot. Uh, she'd been working. Oh, it was your mom. Her mom had had surgery. Yeah, my and bad. I was stressed. But she go was ahead. Stressed. Just go ahead and just go ahead and poo poo over my right. initial impression of right, LA right, confidential. Rachel, you get a pass. <laughs> but her mom wasn't having surgery over the last fifteen years that this movie has been out. She should have seen it. That's true. Your pass has been revoked. <laughs> he's he's gonna give me crap because I said it was slow. She thought it was slow. We we were, did you finish it? No. no. Oh, because because I knew I wasn't giving it a fair shot, and I wanted to do so it when I was in a different it. frame of mind. Yeah. We, we, we all watching like two three. in the morning. It was, it was two or three, yeah, something yeah, like that. So, so late. yeah, right, was, anyway. we're about forty-five. Anyways, uh, but she needs to watch. I knew I wasn't giving it a fair shake. I'm gonna give it. I'm I gonna give it a chance. I knew that if I finished watching it, my impression of it was not gonna be accurate. 1997 so. was one of the all-time great years. It was a great movies. year in movies. L.A. Confidential, uh, Goodwill Hunting, Titanic, Donnie Brasco. Gosh, there were so many. You're good really ones. good at this, Rain Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for some reason I remember movie years. But it was a great, and I'm missing actually a couple big ones. I know Men in Black came out that year. It was just a great year for movies. Jacob's looking up like the best movies from 1997. Like just oh, there he goes. Uh, Boogie Nights, yeah, that yeah. that's one of my oh, all time favorite movies. Awesome Powers. Uh, Austin pa- yes, that's what I'm saying. There's so many good ones. Devil's Advocate. Anyways, I'll watch L.A. Confidential. Okay, you have my word. Uh, as far as what I've been watching lately. This kind of ties into our indie movie theme here. I've watched quite a few indie movies this week, not even purposely. Here I'm looking at my list right now. I watched a movie called Time Lapse. I won't get too much into it, but it's a cool time travel time. It's not a time travel. It's basically based on this Twilight Zone episode about a camera that takes pictures of the future. And so the whole premise of this movie is these three um, young... 20-somethings kind of stumble across it, and they use it, of course, to start uh, trying to win money off of races and things like that because they can see one day into the future, exactly 24 hours into the future. And it kind of becomes this mystery, thriller, horror movie almost. But it's it's a fun movie. It's a cool premise. It could have been really, really good, but just sitting at home, an Amazon or a Netflix watch on a random Tuesday night, it's good enough to watch. I watched Maggie, that Arnold Schwarzenegger zombie movie. Oh, I've always wondered about that, or since it came Don't out. Don't yeah. do it. Yeah. Don't okay. do it, man. It's it, it looked so. The terrible Arnold Schwarzenegger streak continues. You it's know, not it's, really on him. It's not on him. He actually, it's one of the. It's up there with his best performances, if you can say he's ever had a good performance. He's an enjoyable actor, but he's never really acted. I guess that's what I should say. He always overacts overreacts and in this he he like yeah he's well, no. yeah well and you can't have a watch it the movie is so slow that's the problem one of the slowest movies you'll see with really no big moments in it to to pay off all the slow moments but you know it gets so slow you just start doing schwarzenegger impressions we watched it with four of us and we all did our best Arnold's during it. So uh, it's like it says it's based in the Midwest. Like, why can't he do like an American accent or even like a? Like a <laughs> yeah. Can you imagine the country do like a, a country accent? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just so slow. It, 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 
He was fine in it. He he was fine. It, and it's also got Abigail Breslin, Little Miss Sunshine. She becomes the zombie. She plays his daughter. But afterwards, I was real proud of this. I called it a zombie movie. You know, like you fall asleep. Fall asleep. Yeah. Uh I was. It 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 translates better to the (laughs) the door to the written word than than the spoken word. Uh, So I wouldn't watch it. I watched Love and Mercy, which you talked about before. Yep. Uh, The Brian Wilson Beach Boys movies. Really enjoyed it actually. I thought Paul Dano was fantastic. You had mentioned that you thought that. John Cusack was a little bit overrated, and I agree with that. He was fine, but really the strength of the movie to me was Paul Dano and the flashback younger right. Brian Wilson. Because there's two storylines in it, and the the flashback storyline's the great one, and then the present date, which is really in the 80s, late 80s, early 90s, it just kind of takes you down every time you see it. It does. Uh, John Cusack kind of plays, he doesn't really develop, you know, he's kind of become who he is. I thought Elizabeth Banks was actually the, yeah, she the was standout of the current mm-hmm. day story but, but it's also, definitely worth a watch kind of a, it was kind of a, a downer every time it was on it was you just I, I can go see back. why they wanted to show it but it was just like eh. yeah yeah well and especially the flashback there's more going on because you he kind of you know drifts into the madness that he becomes with his with his mental issues but you're also getting to see how pet sounds one of the greatest albums yeah. of all time was created and how genius he was and how he orchestrated the whole thing so yeah. i would say it's definitely worth watching though I also watched The Overnight, and I'll just say really, really quickly, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Rachel and I actually both saw it. Uh, there's Adam Scott and Jason Schwartzman are in it, and the lady from Orange is the New Black, her name fails me right now. Piper. I don't they, remember yeah. the actress's name, but it's Piper. Yeah, but they're all in it. It's it's a it's Taylor Schilling. Yeah, That's thank you. It. It's an indie comedy, but there's some like weird, dramatic undertones going on throughout, and in the end... This does pay off in some sort of really crazy, weird way. It's like a comedy that, boom, in the last five minutes becomes really sexually weird. It made Brandon very uncomfortable. Brandon explained to me the poster, by the way. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. If if you haven't seen it or if you have, just re-inspect the poster and see if you can figure out. Oh, no pun intended? There's a a hidden meaning in that poster, which I actually found pretty hilarious. It is funny now that he explained it to me. (laughs) I would say the movie is worth watching, but just know going into it that it's not, you know, it's not Wedding Crashers comedy. It's, It's funny, but expect some weirdness. And but it is kind of oh, fun yeah. to watch, so you can unravel the mystery. Probably of the a lot of sexual awkwardness. Yes, that's yes. a good way to put it. Yes, there I, is. And I haven't seen it, but just by the way y'all talked about it, yeah, sounds like that. Yeah, yep. absolutely. So that is what we have been watching this week here on Pulp Fiction, and uh, and the other thing going on the, uh, this week in the pop culture world is Comic Con, which I want to go to one day, but I almost went this year and we, really? we backed out. Yeah. Dude, we need to take a Pulp Fiction field trip next year. I just hear about the lines and the, yeah. the amount of camping out you have to do to get in, like, Hall H or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Hall H is... And, uh, but it, it would be so fascinating. And some really good stuff came out of Comic-Con this year that wasn't even my favorite Star Wars related. So there, there's some interesting things. I don't know. Did y'all did y'all follow it at all? or I think you kind of did, Rachel. A like. little bit. I mean, I follow Entertainment Weekly, and so they're covering a okay. lot of stuff about that. But a lot of movie trailers were released, as they are every year. But these are some, some pretty hefty movie trailers from Batman vs. Superman yeah, and the Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. 
I feel like there was another big trailer that well, was released. There was a Star Wars behind the scenes reel that was released gotcha. that I thought was beautiful. I mean, it got me so much more excited. I'll tell you, my <laughs> expectations are so high at this point. <laughs> I'm surely going to dooming be myself yeah, for, you for are. December. Uh, no matter how good it I is. I am so excited. And actually, there was a pretty cool, when they had the panel for uh, Star Wars, That it was cool that Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill all were there. And I don't know if y'all watched that at all, but when... Harrison Ford came out on stage. That place erupted. I mean, yeah. it was nuts, and yeah, it was actually pretty that. cool. And he said some, said some really nice things because I think he had a little bit of, well, I won't say animosity, but he kind of, you know, grew up over thirty years, and he wanted to move on from just Star Wars. And uh, he said some really nice things, and it sounded like, you know, honest. Yeah, yeah, I, I actually uh, watched that part of it. I, I am pretty excited for Star. And I'm not as big a Star Wars fan as you, but I'm I'm really pumped for this this next one. I really really am. Uh, well, I want to get your opinion on the because you're not a big Batman fan. I no. think through the comic books, right, or just period. Well, no, honestly, here's my thing with Batman. I think that the Dark Knight trilogy is vastly overrated. Uh, I thought Batman you're overrated. <laughs> <laughs> I actually don't mind Batman the character. It's what the fans have created that kind of irritate me that they've kind of made him into this bigger than life. I've I've had so many online debates and in personal debates about like whether Batman would be these various superheroes and like, well, if he gets to plan his attack, if if he takes six weeks off and goes into his little dungeon and plans it out and he gets six people on staff to create all these things for him and then they have a time and place to meet and he'll sneak up on him and cheat, then he can beat your guy. <laughs> like, it just irritates the crap out of me. And I think that the Dark Knight trilogy is really overrated. I think that Batman Begins was pretty good. Uh, I think the Dark Knight was great, but it was because of Heath Ledger's performance. And I think the Dark Knight Rises was terrible. Yeah, it wasn't very good. Uh, but what did you think of these trailers? Uh, I'll say that I was actually I thought they're pretty good, and I like the original Batman series. Actually, the one with Michael Keaton, I like the original quite a bit. This I actually thought looked pretty good. Well, admit, we're, now we're talking uh, Batman, Batman versus Superman. Superman. Okay, I, because I, the first trailer drop was pretty dark, and really a lot of people weren't really happy about it. But this really kind of explained a lot more. It did, um, and I kind of on board with Ben Affleck. I don't Ben Affleck things really starting to throw me. <laughs> Anyway. Well, he's he's actually underrated. I don't actor. have a problem with Ben Affleck. No, me at all. neither. He's well, he just he's coming to his own. Just, you know, you want to know the truth? I thought that Christian Bale was overrated as Batman. Agreed. His voice he really bothered me, and I like Christian Bale. Yeah, so do I. I actually like him in everything except for Batman. Yep. Here's the thing with Batman: most his villains are really, really interesting, but Batman, the character himself, is pretty boring. He's supposed to be the greatest uh, mystery solver out there, supposedly. Yeah, he's Sherlock Holmes with a with a costume. Here's here's my whole. <laughs> no, trust me, I'm actually with you on on a lot okay. of this. In fact, when they were doing the when we heard about Batman versus Superman like last year, I texted Brandon and it was, it was just like, so like Superman's gonna kick his ass, right? I mean, yeah, there should be no doubt. It's, <laughs> I mean, it's he's hilarious. faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than Shoots a local lasers out of his and eyes. Then one is a richer, angrier, smarter Inspector Gadget. Exactly. Like, how are they even making a movie out of this? Yeah. And it really irritates me that I know it's gonna end in a tie because they're not going to upset either franchise exactly it's going to be like there's no way spider-man or superman would ever lose to batman not in any that fight lasts 0.0001 seconds so how are you making it's a dude he's just a dude he knows some karate and has rubber on 
versus the Man of Steel. It's not a fight. The the He's title not even human. The title is laughable to me. Like just saying Batman versus Superman is ridiculous. It'd be like Pee Wee Herman versus Hulk Hogan. I mean, like that's basically what it is. That's what we're. I mean, like, why would you watch? <laughs> but like all these Batman fans, no, if he gets the plan for three months, that's it's gonna end in a tie, and yeah. it's gonna be really but, like, irritating. Like watching the trailer, I actually laughed when he's like, when Ben Aff- when Batman's like, uh, blah blah blah, I must destroy him. I'm like, okay, buddy, yeah, okay, go good one. Do and he like shows up, thinking he's gonna be. That said, I think the movie itself, if I take out the element that's you know the whole premise is based on. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. But I think it's an it's the a cool looking did movie. Look, it, I was more interested in it after the Me trailer too. than I thought it was going to be. Just I like the dark element. I think it's oh, kind of cool. Oh, I think cool. it's really cool. Um, because but, when you compare those to Marvel movies, they're just so colorful. But right. Like this right. could be like, well, all the Dark Knight series were were dark as well. I just like how they're kind of keeping that theme. And I know a lot of people have a problem with that, but I, it works for me. I don't yeah. have a problem with it. I, I, just I, I like with... it for Batman, but Superman's never been a dark character, right? Yeah. And and they and they did that with. Man is still, which I actually had a big issue with, you know, especially since they had him kill someone at the very end. That's like it goes against everything that Superman. Man is still to me wasn't a very good movie, but now that I've seen some of the elements in Man and Steel that are in that trailer, mm-hmm. okay, I'll give it a little bit more of a pass because of, you know, the destruction of Metropolis. You know, yeah. Well, at least they. Cover, I think honestly, you want to know the truth. I think they are addressing that completely because the backlash. The, the yes, the backlash from the fans. If you watch Man of Steel, he destroyed an entire city to take out one dude. Like, how many civilians were killed in this? Like, right. it, I mean, it was just absurd. It was distracting. It takes you out of the movie. And and again, that goes against, you know, the whole mythology of Superman and what he stands for. So I'm glad they're addressing it. I think I'm more excited about Suicide Squad, though. And Suicide I actually Squad have been really following uh, a lot of the news articles on it from CinemaSins. Mm-hmm. And um, I've been pretty intrigued and so when that trailer dropped i was pretty stoked about it it looks really good it does look really good i don't really know i still don't know about jared leto and how he looks as the joker or what they designed the joker to look like for this yeah. movie i'll say it like that i agree with that other than that it looks pretty awesome and, and margot robbie, robbie oh, she, she's so hot well there's that too oh. but <laughs> i mean she they're saying that she might steal this movie I and mean, she could become a superstar after this if yeah. she isn't already this is yeah. probably a dumb question is she harley quinn yes okay. yes yeah yeah, and she was in Wolf of Wall Street. Now, okay. here's a couple okay. of trailers I wondered if y'all knew dropped that haven't really hit the YouTube. Well, there's a there's a, a pirate version of Deadpool that has hit YouTube. Have you seen it? I have. I I I'm, saw that it was out there and I steered clear of it. Yeah, I so I watched the pirated version of it, and I mean they don't hold back on the f bombs and in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how that works out when it does hit television. But I did kind of see what it was, and it looked like it could be kind of cool. Really? So again, as I as someone else said it, it's really up to the fans to make sure they go see this movie. So if you want to see more R-rated comic book movies, you know you better roll out to see this movie, right? Because if not, I, they're never going to do that again. But I'm torn on it, and, and I'll tell you why. Because I feel like comic book movies, like when I was growing up. Like the Superman movies. As a kid, you could watch it and love it. It's kind of like it's a pick your poison. There'll be better movies if they're darker and more adult. Like, oh, you're thinking for the, the, the kids. For the, yeah, for, for the kids. Benefit of the kids. For the no, benefit forget of the... about them. It's all about me, man. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. As a moviegoer, it can make for a better movie if they're darker, for sure. But then I'm like, yeah, I mean, I have nephews that would love to see no, I, I a Batman movie, but like, they... they're not allowed to see The Dark Knight because there's too much wicked stuff that's going on in them. 
So I'm I'm torn on that. I don't know. Issue. I was I was I was allowed to watch the first uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark when I was like five or six <laughs> years old. So if you can watch the last ten minutes of that movie, you can probably get through a Deadpool. Yeah, movie. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I remember Indy dropping a bunch of f bombs. But yeah, you're right. That it is it is dark. I think it uh, depends on the character too. Deadpool, I can see. But if Spider-Man was rated R, that'd be really weird. There, there are some comic book characters altogether that are more kid-friendly than others. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Uh, the other, the last trailer I want to bring up that I'm still looking for, and I'm curious if y'all found it. It's the Hateful Eight trailer. Supposedly, it's a, different a new one? one. A new one came out. I have not looked for it. Okay. I hope it's much better than the one they already released. Yeah, there, there is one out there, and I just can't tell if it's real or not because of the, the opening sounds. No, it's not the war one. Okay. I think that one's beautiful, but it just doesn't look like it's Tarantino. Weird, yeah. Well, this one looks like Tarantino, but the way it's kind of edited, there's like a, a, a voiceover that just doesn't sound like it fits. So I'm not sure if it's real. Gotcha. But look it up. And get back to me on that. Okay. But kind of cool, though, that hate. Well, it's kind of like, hey, Comic-Con isn't just about, you know, Marvel and DC Comics Sci-fi, and Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. There's other stuff that's there, too. I know uh, the Bastard Executioner trailer's out. I want to watch that. That's the Kurt Sutter movie. He did Sons of Anarchy. So I'm pretty excited about that. There wasn't anything else I can think of, but if y'all. That was the only other one I could think of. I love Comic-Con and, and all the news that comes from Comic-Con, and I like reading the story highlights, but I... I tend to try to stay away from all the spoiler stuff, so yeah. I'm like scared to look too much into Comic Con. Yeah, me too. That said, though, if I was there, I'd be, I would like screw this and I'd be all about it. I went to the <laughs> Tulsa Comic Con, and it was pretty cool. I mean, it's obviously like a mini me version, but it was fun. But it was a lot of fun. So uh, they have they have mini Comic Cons. Well, yeah, it's they a... do because the the people that run Comic Con now they have like almost like a traveling Comic Con, and it came to Tulsa last year. Is it Wizard World come... though that yeah. runs the official Comic Con? Oh, you know, I don't know. I don't know if it is or not. I, I don't actually know that don't it's associated it with the actual yeah, Comic Con. But it was this is good information for someone who's never really knew how to find that stuff. Do y'all just like follow it online, or how do you know about it? Yeah, I well, since I'm in the media, I got like some media you know notification that Comic Con was coming to Tulsa. Like and, a press release. Yeah, like a press. It was a press. Thank you, a press release. Yeah. Uh, I've only been getting those for twenty years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but Rachel and I, uh, both in radio and, and newspaper, we we were actually able to get media tickets, which was cool because it was like a hundred bucks, hundred and fifty bucks. But it was really cool. Like everybody from Walking Dead almost was there. Like the cast of Walking Dead. It was really there. was a, a Walking Dead. Yeah, this one, basically. this one was. But, but I mean, like other Ralph Macchio was I'm there. Glad I didn't go then. No, it was really was interesting. Corey though. Feldman was there. Uh, Robert England, who plays Freddy Krueger, was there. Oh, that's cool. Uh, Eliza Dushku was there. I mean, so it's like you know, it's it's kind of like a B. William like a Shatner was there. William Shatner was there. Uh, so there was a lot it's of legit. there, there, there was, was a lot of people there. And we're it was missing legit. some people, it, but yeah. it was a really really cool event. And then there were panels and there were signings and there was. Is this like, like every year? Like so, this traveling group they will are go different come places back in the Midwest year. or the yeah. Northeast or the whatever. Yep. Yeah. Okay. It just started last year, but they're going to be back again this year. Back to Tulsa or like somewhere else, back like in Tulsa. Tulsa City or something. It'll okay. be Tulsa. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So we'll have to go. Uh, maybe we'll get some media credentials through Pulp Fiction. So. <laughs> hey, that'd be cool man yeah that'd be awesome like who are you guys again uh, we're with the the podcast <laughs> the podcast <laughs> oh the podcast it is time for the podcast top five <laughs> favorite indie movies of all time in honor of uh, the movie review this week me and Earl and the Dying Girl we would count down our top five indie movies of all time so without further ado, let's jump into our list. Rachel, what is your number five favorite indie movie of wait, all wait, time? Wait, wait, real quick. Should we kind of define our versions of uh, indies? Because we learned a lot doing this list. Uh, yeah, we did. 
That's a good point. <laughs> uh, Ray, uh, Jacob uh, texted me like, okay, so how are we going to define what an indie movie is? And so I was curious. I looked up the, the technical definition of an indie movie is any movie that's produced, made outside of the major Hollywood studios. Of course, that means Paramount, Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney. Anything that's made outside of that. Now... We all kind of took that definition and created our own list based on that. You know, I think some of us decided, well, you know, if a movie made over $100 million, we're not going to include it, or if it's too obvious or too big. Wait, made over or was made for? Either one. I mean, if it made over, I don't have a problem with that, but if right. it was made, made for, for, made for yeah, like yeah. if it had a big budget, for instance. Yeah. You know, it uh, can I mean, have. There were, there were a lot of indie movies that I was very surprised were indie movies in this research. Because you know, right. we can do like a, a romance list, we can do any kind of genre, but if you do an indie list. And it covers it, all of it. It covers all of it. Everything. So we really had to right. dig in and kind of figure out, like, what, what what's considered an indie, and right. then what works for us personally. So right. I really wanted to point that out before we kind of dig in our. I mean, our name different is an indie movie, but you right. wouldn't think it. You so. would never think so because yeah. it became so big. Pulp Fiction did. Right. So I think maybe before everybody starts their list, you can go with what you defined as an indie movie when you were creating your list. I tried to to keep the budget low that it was made for, and honestly, I, I kind of move my lists around things that I wanted people to see. Not necessarily, I mean like Reservoir Dogs, obviously going to be a movie that is awesome and is an indie movie, but I kind of left that out because if you want to see it, you probably already have. So with that said, my number five is Brick. Brick, good movie. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes. I think I need to see it again because too many people like it and I didn't care much for it. Really? Yeah. I liked it a ton. But everyone I talk to loves it. Yeah, it's a good movie. Uh... I honestly don't remember much about it. Uh, I honestly don't. You know, it's all I remember is that I liked it, and I guess it didn't stay with me that much. Well, we can edit. Well, what's cool is that it was Ryan Johnson directed it. Um, You know, and of course, Ryan Johnson's gone on to do some pretty big things now, especially a movie like Looper. Uh, So he definitely has some directing talent. Yes, Um, and apparently likes Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah, yeah. It had. I remember it had Emily DeRaven from uh, Lost in it. Claire uh, it had Megan Good, who I think is gorgeous. So the cast was nice and kind of unknown at the time. They've each of them, you know, individually have become bigger since then. It was a really good movie. They kind of went under the radar and kind of started picking up a cult following. But since then, kind of has kind of gone back under the radar. I don't really hear. It'll probably be a, an unfortunate lost movie, but I didn't really have much of a reaction to it when I when I initially saw it. So, but again, a lot of people out there like it. So I liked it enough to buy it. Me. So that's saying a lot for me. All right, Jacob, your number five favorite indie movie of all time. Uh, my number five movie is Requiem for a Dream, directed by Darren Aronofsky. Yes, great movie, starring Ellen Burstyn and Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, Marlon Wayans. I, the first time I saw this movie, yeah, it came out in two thousand. I was just blown away at, I don't know if it was, I was blown away more about the authenticity of it, but really there's some technical genius that's going on from Darren Aronofsky here, especially with the editing, Mm -hmm. um, the use of music throughout this. And of course you can kind of get away with that sort of stuff when you're dealing with drugs and hallucinations. 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 Hallucinogens. But you can get away with that when you're, uh, <laughs> when you're, you know, when you're, when you're doing those kinds of movies. But I mean, he really took it to a whole, a, another level compared to other drug movies I've seen. 
Great movie. Ellen Burstyn, she was nominated for Best Actress, which personally I think she was robbed. Absolutely. That's the same year that uh, Julia um, Roberts, Roberts won for uh, Aaron, Aaron Brockovich. Brockovich or whatever. Yeah. No, absolutely. Ellen Burstyn was much, much better. The problem was Aaron Brockovich was a blockbuster hit. And this was right. Indie, so. Yeah, but I mean, Ellen Burson, she was fantastic. Oh, and who would have thought that when you have a, a cast of like uh, Jared Leto, Jennifer Connelly, well, and Matt Marlon Wayans, who was excellent in it for Marlon Wayans. Yeah, which is so <laughs> weird. But who would have thought, you know, the best character in the show was Ellen Burstyn, like the old lady in it. I mean, she was just a fan. She was just amazing in it. I'm alone. Your father's gone. You're gone. I got no one to care for what have I got Harry I'm lonely I'm old you have friends Ma it's not the same they don't need me I like the way I feel. I like thinking about the red dress and the television and you and your father. Now when I get the sun, I smile. Uh, I just want to point out that this movie, the budget for this movie was four and a half million dollars. And uh, it was produced by Artisan Entertainment, Thousand Words, and Sibling Productions. Hmm. That's my number five. That was a great choice. One of my favorite movies of that year that it came out. Liked it enough to buy it. Yeah. Great movie. I defined my indie movies as I decided to kind of go with obscure, under the radar. I kind of twisted you know, the definition of indie to fit my own needs because I didn't want to go with obvious ones. So, these are my kind of more obscure indie movies that maybe the common man hasn't seen or heard of. And my number five favorite indie movie that I would like to recommend, if you haven't heard of it, is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. This, I haven't heard of it. <laughs> this, uh, well, see, that's why I'm proud of it. I'm basically trying to recommend movies to people who haven't heard of them. This is a cool, it's like this weird mockumentary. It's, a, it's mostly a comedy. It's basically based on this guy, Leslie Vernon, who wants to be a serial killer. And so this documentary crew follows him around and interviews him, you know, about, you know, what it's like to be a serial killer. And he talks about, like, all the issues and, like, people think it's easy or, you know, there's a lot of hard work, you know, goes into it. And you wouldn't believe the injuries you get and things like that. So it's a really, really funny movie. It's a comedy mockumentary. But then... It shifts and there's a twist and it actually does become like a real horror movie. And it's got like some cool cameos from the guy that plays Freddy, Robert England, and I mean some other horror icons are in it, make cameos. Anyways, it's a really funny movie you should see, Behind the Mask. Agreed. I support your your pick of Behind the Mask. I, I, I actually liked it enough to um, donate to the Kickstarter for a sequel to it. Uh, the the people you know not many people Sucker. have seen it. Not, not <laughs> Apparently, you were the only one. <laughs> I know. It didn't raise enough. They Your got five dollars didn't do yeah. it, man. <laughs> I got it back. They sent it, but you know, like it didn't go through <laughs> because they didn't get enough. But the people who've seen it love it, um, and it actually got good reviews, but not enough people have seen it. Okay, so my number four. We put the stipulation that no foreign films and That's no right. documentaries. 
Yeah, because each of us probably would have had five foreign films oh, or documentaries. Easily, yeah. easily. So number four is is right on the line, but I thought it was interesting because nobody's really sure if it was a documentary or a movie, and it's Catfish. I know that oh. sounds ridiculous now that the series yes. is out, and it's the same thing over and over right. again. So if you've been ruined with the series, then you're probably not going to enjoy the movie so much. But Catfish, the movie, came out obviously before the series that's what it's based on and it was a really interesting look but nobody's quite sure if it was a documentary or if it was a movie yeah i think it's a so wait is this basically like what happened to manti teo is that yes what? it's okay yes and i mean basically this guy created this term and it's like in the yeah. pulp culture Neve. lexicon now it, yeah. it follows neve who's the host of the mtv catfish but he this he, is his story this is his story he actually got catfished mm. um Hey, Megan? Yeah. Hey, it's Neve. Hi, how are you? Your voice is not at all what I expected. I'm sorry. No, not in, no, it's, 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 uh, really, it's a terrific voice. I just, I don't know. I, I guess you never really think of a voice when you only know somebody in a certain way. I happen to think my voice is sort of irritating. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and it's a weird, like, mix. Again, it's it's a documentary, but it's almost like a horror movie. Like, it's a mystery. Like, it was actually promoted almost as a horror movie. Yeah, and the, and the pre, if you watch the trailer for it, it's, like, really creepy. It is creepy. Really, that's a good way to really, say it. when you're watching it, it's a little bit creepy, too, until you find out what happened yeah. with his story, and then it's not creepy at all. But. And I think you're right, because people have been kind of conditioned to the MTV show now, which is just kind of fun and pulpy or whatever. This, but like, this had real mis- emotion so to it. I Henry Juiced to blame for that. Awesome. Yes. <laughs> and Ariel Shulman. Thank you all for Catfish. <laughs> yeah, Ariel Shulman is Neve's brother, I believe. They're the ones that directed it, but Neve's story is actually really interesting. The TV oh, series. Not so Ariel is his real name, or wait, right? Yeah, that's the director. And Ariel the is character. his brother. Oh, it is. Ariel is also the director. Well, yes, but I'm saying. It's... Oh, I see. I see. I see. Gotcha. It's gotcha. about Neve. Okay. Yeah, she uh... knows more about Neve than I do. But yeah, it was I... it was a great movie. The 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 TV show you'd give like an, but the movie was was great. And really interesting. It's probably been ruined for you if you've watched the TV show now and you're just going to think of it kind of in that light. But but if I, you've ever talked you to a chick online, to... you've got to watch Catfish. Or if you're a chick and you've talked to a dude who may be a chick or a, <laughs> or a dude who talked to a chick that's actually this, a dude, you need to watch Catfish. This wasn't as easy Jacob, as... Jacob, you need to watch Catfish. Well, I'm not going to lie. I have been Catfish. Before. Have you really? Yeah, but I figured it out in a day. But yeah. <laughs> this is... And this yeah, is... This... real proud of that one. There you go, world. Now you know. <laughs> was she a dude? I don't know. It was oh, just okay. some foreign person, I'm uh, guessing, who was emailing me. This, this story isn't as easy as... I'm going to... Google search this. Like they actually have to do some investigation yeah, it's, and it's, stuff. It's so. intense. So there's that. That's my number four. Jacob, your number four favorite indie movie of all time. Okay, so my number four uh, is 1995's *The Usual Suspects*, mm. directed by Brian Singer, starring Gabriel Byrne, Kevin Spacey, Stephen Baldwin, Kevin Bollock, Benicia del Toro. Yeah, like my list is so much different from y'all's, but I completely get why you're saying the movies that you're saying because they are so much more under the radar than mine. Mine, I just couldn't believe they were indies, and I couldn't, 
I felt like I just couldn't not not put them on this list. Right. Yeah, it was right. it was the hardest list to make because there's a real definition, and then we just kind of create yeah. our own definition. Yeah. So I mean, I, kind I, of I, I, I did look at the budget. Uh, I, I, all these movies I researched because I, I looked up like 20, 30 movies, and so like the budget for this was six million dollars. You know, it was produced by Polygram, Filmed Entertainment, Spelling Films International, and Blue Parrot. Never heard of any of those. But I mean, if you go back to just the movie of Usual Suspects in itself, it's one of the greatest twists in cinema, or yeah, at least yeah. at least in the last you know thirty years. Yeah, right. absolutely. I mean, um, how do you not it really love the I guess the quintet of uh, of men who are going there and doing like this a sting, sting of some yeah. sort. And of course it turns into what it turns into. I'm not gonna spoil it. But uh, I mean if you haven't seen the usual suspects, um I strongly suggest turning off this podcast right now and going to the video store. <laughs> it's on Netflix. Videos. It is on yeah, Netflix. Absolutely. Uh, it's just a great movie. Oh, uh, it's one of my favorite movies. I mean it would be in my top fifty favorite movies of all time. It didn't make his list, but it would be one of. Well, see, that's what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> I, I actually I know, like that's why Usual Suspects more than any of oh, the Jacob's ones on my list. Oh, Jacob's list is way better than my list. <laughs> yeah, but... but we just changed the definition yeah. of. Yeah, it kind of makes it more interesting. Though. Yeah, my number four favorite indie movie of all time is In Bruges. Good movie. Uh, yes. Now this is probably the the most well known, I guess, maybe of my list. But it's still really under the radar. Well, it's the first one that I've I've heard of. Yeah, (laughs) it's still under the radar, and I think most people haven't you know seen it or heard of it. Colin Farrell, Brendan Gleeson, the uh, British actor. It's a really good mix of comedy and drama. I mean, it's mostly a comedy. It's also a crime film. It was kind of fun. It's a fun fun movie. Yeah, the dialogue is fantastic, and Colin Farrell just really stands out to me in this. He uh, he was so funny, but at the same time. He had a lot of... Uh, he was quirky, he was insecure, but yes. I mean, that's what kind of was fun for Colin Farrell, who can be kind of, kind of play the same character and over and over again, so it's it nice to see him kind of be a little loopy. And yeah. ladies, he uses his real accent, he does, which he hardly ever does. That's true, that's true. And it makes him so much sexier. <laughs> and I think this was kind of the beginning of the turnaround for Colin Farrell. When he first kind of burst onto the scene... He got a lot of hype as kind of the new sexy movie star, kind of up the new coming. Brad Pitt. Yeah, he did, and then he started doing a lot of roles that were, you know, they weren't bad movies, but he didn't really have to act all that much. And he he definitely hit a point where I think he decided, okay, I'm going to be taken seriously as an actor now and stop doing these. I generally haven't liked him for a long time, but I mean, I do recognize that he can't act, but most of the stuff he's in, I can't. I don't like the movies. That way, we leave this lady and her baby out of the whole entire thing. You completely promised to jump in the canal. I don't want to run out there, come back in ten minutes and find you f***ing hiding in a cupboard. I completely promise, Harry. So, hang on, I go outside, then I go which way, right or left? You go right, don't you? You can see it from the doorway. It's a big f***ing canal. All right, Jesus, I've only just got here, haven't I? Okay, on the count of one, two, three, go, okay? Okay. What? Who says it? Oh, you say it. You guys are crazy. Hey, ready? Ready. Set? Set. One, two, three, go! Yeah, and Bruges was, was and great. Bruges was a great movie. Uh, crazy Heart. He had a small role in Crazy Heart, oh, yeah. but he was really good as a country singer uh, with Jeff Bridges. And, of course, he's in True Detective right now. He's currently the most interesting part of True Detective. Easily. Easily. So yes. my number four is in Bruges. Rachel, what is your number three favorite indie movie of all time? My number three is Perks of Being a Wallflower, which I recognize. Uh, oh, I knew it would be on your list. <laughs> uh, which I recognize is not. It, I don't know anybody that just flat out didn't like it, but I was way more taken with it than a lot of people. 
And if you read about it, people that were really taken with this movie are people that could relate to it on that level, which neither of you can. <laughs> which is why you're uh, both looking it was, at me It was like an that. okay movie, but, you know, I... I get what you're saying. You guys were so popular. You just <laughs> couldn't understand. What's up, man? Fist bump. Let's go to the gym after this. Fuck <laughs> out <laughs> some chicks. Whatever. All you <laughs> nerds need to watch Perks of Being a Wallflower because I thought it was great. No, it is fun. Uh, I liked it. I thought it was a fine movie. I'm with Jacob. I, I liked it. Yeah, that, I it think was that good... was most people's impression of it is I like it. But it... But if you were a wallflower, it, it hits very deep. Hey, everyone. Everybody. Raise your glasses to Charlie. What did I do? You didn't do anything. We just want to toast our new friend. You see things, and you understand. You're a wallflower. What is it? What's wrong? I didn't think anyone noticed me. Well, we didn't think there was anyone cool left to meet. So, come on, everyone, to Charlie. To Charlie. Welcome to the island of misfit toys. You know, I know quite a few people who just absolutely loved it. Like, favorite movie of the year they for a lot it. of people. And it did tend to be, I won't call out any names, but some people I know... <laughs> uh, Rachel just fell down out of her chair uh, <laughs> in, in the studio. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it does seem, you know, people who were wallflowers themselves really relate to it and think it's a, it's a great movie. Yes, they nailed it. So. Bunch of drama nerds. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're up, cool guy. <laughs> uh, all right, so my number we're three. We're making fun of drama nerds as we're doing a movie oh, I podcast. Know. I, know. I had that coming. <laughs> and I was actually in drama. <laughs> and I was not. Um, my number three movie is uh, Good Will Hunting, 1997, directed by Gus Van Sant. Uh, I was wrong. Usual Suspects won't be my favorite of the whole list. It's going to be Good Will Hunting. That's, that's a top ten favorite movie of all time. Yeah, me. so this movie, I believe, is the the highest budget out of my movies on my list. It was made for $10 million, produced by Ben Gentleman LP, Lawrence Bender Productions, and, well, Miramax, which we've heard of them before. I mean, it only made $272,000 opening weekend. And now, you know, when you look at Good Will Hunting... I mean, it's a classic. I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, there are a couple on my list that are classics, but Goodwill Hunting's, I think, is the one that stands out the most. Gosh, okay, so Matt Damon, Robin Williams, they were both fantastic in it. I mean, you have all the other actors and actresses who were in it, and they were fine, but mm -hmm. like those two, you get them in the room together, and there was just great dialogue being passed. Yeah. And you have to credit Matt Damon and Ben Affleck for this. They won the best screenplay for it. Uh, as for Robin Williams winning a supporting actor, which he totally deserved. Oh, yeah. And I, I kind of alluded to this earlier and I'm just going to bring it back up like I'm telling you Ben Affleck and Matt Damon like who would have thought in the 1990s that I mean I think Ben Affleck is the bigger um, I mean he's bigger the bigger talent. asset yeah. I can't believe what he's been doing these last I don't know five to ten years between directing and then you know he's, he's just choosing so much better roles I mean, I think he's a bigger asset in Hollywood than Matt Damon. I just would have never thought I said that. But, you know, going back to Goodwill Hunting, I mean, it was just a beautiful movie, great story, great dialogue. It just was so well written. And I think from the stories I, I remember reading about were that no one wanted to pick it up. No one, no one wanted to take a chance on 
the screenplay written by Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Yeah, they were so young and, and they were nobodies in Hollywood. Right, right. I, I actually think that's still one of the best Oscar speeches. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, they were so guys. genuinely pumped. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was like pure joy. Yeah. It's kind of like if you and me and Rachel wrote a screenplay. and That would be us. <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I mean, it was just... It's a it's one of my all time favorite movies. Uh, as a matter of fact, I went to Boston last nine year. Nine Academy Awards, nominated. Nominated, for yeah. Yes, uh, I think it won two or three. Robin Williams and the screenplay won, so I think it won two. It won two. Uh, but yeah, when I went to Boston last year, one of the things, the number one thing on my list to do of all the things was to go to the bench where uh, Robin Williams and Matt Damon had that famous scene, which is one of my all time favorite movie scenes ever. So. Uh, and it was actually right after Robin Williams died, and there was, you know, a lot of people paying tribute there with, with a lot of messages and flowers and saying, things like that. Where you? You're an orphan, right? Do you think I'd know the first thing about how hard your life has been, how you feel, who you are? Because I read Oliver Twist. Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a shit about all that because you know what? I can't learn anything from you. I can't read in some fucking book. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are. And I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. Move, Chief. Were you in Boston? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. My number three favorite indie movie of all time is Take Shelter. This is, is a good movie. Yeah, I really, really like this movie a lot. I thought it was a cool take on the whole is he crazy, is he not crazy type of thing. A lot of religious, you know, overtones to this movie. Stars Michael Shannon, I think his best performance. I actually think he should have been nominated that year for Best Actor. There's a lot Revolutionary of... Revolutionary Road is his best performance. Oh, he was really good in that, Sorry, too. I just had to say that. There, there, he, was he was great in so Take good. Shelter. Yeah, he got a lot of buzz uh, for this. Uh, he didn't end up getting nominated, though. It was a strong year. But uh, Jessica Chastain was in this, one of her first breakthrough performances. It, the basic premise is this guy, uh, Michael Shannon, he sees visions of this big impending storm that's going to wipe everyone out. He thinks it's from God. His friends, his family, they all kind of, everybody in the small town think he's crazy. So he starts building a shelter, spending all the money, all his time, gives up his job, everything, invests into this. Everybody thinks he's nuts. And it's like a thriller, mystery, drama. And one of my favorite ambiguous endings, uh, I know we've talked about it before, but the ending it ends in a way where you don't know whether or not he actually was seeing the vision, but the spin that it takes, I think, was really well done. And this movie came out in 2011, so if you haven't heard of it, I mean, it, it was really under the radar, but it was mm -hmm. on a lot of Topps Critics' choices. I mean, really I mean, like, the number ones and number twos of those of that year. Right, yeah. Um, there's a lot of really, uh, uh, once again, hallucinogenic <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, moments in it, or, or, or was it? You know, that was, right. that was it. What was he saying? So... You know, it was directed by Jeff Nichols, who also also did Mud. I think he's an upcoming director. Yes. We'll see years down the road. But he he uh, has got great technical skills, 
Uh, especially when it comes to some of these story, the storytelling he does. And you're right, you know, also in 2011, well, in 12, there were a lot of ambiguous movies the way they ended, and I think it was making a lot of people frustrated. Yes. However, this one works. This is a very good one. Uh, I, I strongly suggest you watching it. Yeah. Rachel, your number two favorite indie movie of all time is? My number two is Moon. Oh, good, good choice. I, I kind of fell in love with Sam Rockwell after this movie. Yes. And if another, you don't know, another radar movie that's very good. It, and he it was have been so good. And the, the entire movie is basically Sam Rockwell. It is Sam Rockwell. Yeah. And he's it's it's set in the future and he's doing some I don't remember exactly what he's doing on the moon, but he's working for a company where he's I think they're using something on the moon as fuel or something like that. And he's harvesting it and sending it back to Earth. But it's just him. In this space station, basically, and he has this job assignment for three years, and it takes an interesting twist. And I normally don't like sci-fi movies, but this wasn't—it wasn't your typical sci-fi. It, it wasn't your typical drama thriller. Yeah, it, was, it, was very... it, was, it was set in a sci-fi, you know, atmosphere. Had you seen a trailer but... for it before you watched it? Or did you go into it blind? I went into it blind. Yeah, me too. That makes all the totally caught me off guard. Yeah. yeah. Well, the... wasn't Kevin Spacey the voice yes. of the yeah. Yeah. Gertie? Yeah. So it was basically just. You know, Sam Rockwell was alone, but he kind of had this computer voice he was talking to. Yeah, he talked to the computer system in the space station. Oh, that's such a... I'm glad you brought this up. It takes... It makes me want to rewatch it. It takes a really interesting twist, and I got very emotional over all of it. And it's just Sam Rockwell. And so, yeah, it was really He was robbed of an Oscar nomination that year. He He was. He absolutely should have been nominated. Great choice. Thank you. Uh, My number two movie is 1996... Train Spotting, directed by Danny Boyle, starring Hugh McGregor and a lot of other Scottish people. Um, <laughs> that's not really fair because there's some pretty good people, who, there's some pretty good actors who were bigger later on after this film. But I mean, I, this is more of a nostalgic choice. I mean, I know a lot of people love this movie who've seen it, but apparently there are other people in this room who didn't think very highly of it. Um, Rachel. Train Spotting? <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it. I thought you said you gave it a three. Oh, that was when I I, th- I told you I thought that was an accidental rainy because I don't think I've seen it. Oh, okay, all right. <laughs> 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 no, I mean, look. Okay, so some of the things that I love about it, uh, I think it's a great soundtrack. Mostly, it's the it's the camera treatment. He does some very tricky camera work. The way you should do it, not like me, Earl, and Dying Girl, <laughs> where you know, again, dealing with drugs. I don't know why that theme keeps coming up tonight. Um, but they does some just really cool things. Uh, no one, if, if you have seen it, you wouldn't forget the toilet scene. So that's pretty iconic. Yep, don't remember. Yeah, um, the toilet scene is actually, I saw it when I was a lot younger. And all I really remember from it is the toilet scene. Right. Have you not seen it since then? I haven't seen it since. Okay. I liked it. But I think I would like it more now as an adult than I did when I saw it when I was a kid. It's very authentic. At times it can be really violent. Mm-hmm. Um, the characters, so like, you know, you have Renton, Spud, Sick Boy, Tommy, and Begbie. They're the five guys. Once again, a quintet of guys. Uh, I guess that's another thing going on with most of my movies. <laughs> like hanging out with bros uh, and doing drugs. Uh, yeah, so apparently so. I don't know. But, um, Choose rotting away at the end of it all, pissing your last in a miserable home, nothing more than an embarrassment to the selfish, fucked up brats that you've spawned to replace yourselves. Choose your future. Choose life. But why would I want to do a thing like that? I chose not to choose life. I chose something else. And the reasons? 
there are no reasons. Who needs reasons when you've got a head on? It's a lot of fun. Honestly, it's kind of a hard movie to understand. I had to watch it on... Uh, yes. Which almost makes you wonder, does that make it a foreign film? Yeah, but, <laughs> it almost really is. I mean, but yeah. this this movie was done for $3.5 million. You know, it was produced by Channel 4 Films, Figment Films, and the Noel Gay Picture Company. I don't really know what Danny Boyle did before Train Spotting. I wonder if this is the one that put him on the map. Yeah, but, I think this was his breakout um, film. You know, this was... Uh, the the writer for this novel is Irvine Welsh, and the word on the street is is that he's doing a second novel, and Danny Boyle is supposed to be doing that too, which which could be cool. But Train Spotting is kind of a movie that you can't duplicate. It it would be like if they try to do Fight Club again. It just right. wouldn't quite work. But if they hey if they put it out there, I'll go watch it. Uh, it's just a fascinating movie, and I, I I guess I forgot it was an indie. Great movie, and if you haven't seen it, watch it. Yeah, it's it's kind of a must watch. I actually need to watch it again. <laughs> I was gonna say that's no, a must watch, and you barely remember. No, no, I'm it. saying, I'm saying, like anybody, you know, like a, a movie person, it's kind of like one of those you have to watch. I get it, guys. <laughs> it's, it's on Netflix right now. It's there in you my go. Queue. So you can watch it for free. It's in Rachel. my queue. My number two favorite indie movie of all time is a really recent one, actually. My number two favorite film of uh, 2013, Short Term Twelve. Great movie. Love this movie. I've tried to get as many people as I can over the last couple years. Which we years. did bring up earlier, too. It's yes. fascinating. Yeah, we so brought it up. Good. Because it started off as a short. Uh, you know, the person who wrote this, it's based on this person's life. Jacob's going to help me out with the name. The writer? Yeah, the writer. Uh, Destin Daniel Cretton. Yes, thank you. Uh, wrote and directed it. And it's kind of based on her life. Basically, it's a home for troubled kids. And it's about this counselor and her boyfriend. They're both counselors. And it's just a feels very real. And since it's based in reality, that you know helps a lot, obviously. But the dialogue is great. The characters are heartbreaking. It's this strange combination of, well, it sounds kind of like a, something taken from inside out. The whole movie is kind of like this happy, sad feeling. Like, there's a lot of joy in this movie. A lot movie. of ups and downs. Yes. And they're all very real. Yes, they are. Okay, okay, everyone, one at a time, please. Luis, thank you for raising your hand. Who's the weird guy over there? Oh, that is Nate. Please do not be jerks to him. It is his first day. Do you want to introduce yourself? Um, sure. Okay. Yeah, hey, uh, as you know, my name's Nate, and uh, I just... I took a year off of school because, you know, I just wanted to get some life experience. And I always wanted to work with underprivileged kids. What the fuck is that supposed to mean? Marcus, settle down. No, I want to know what you mean by that, underprivileged. It's not what I meant. Then think about your fucking words before you speak. Hey. Newbie. That's a level drop. Go to your room. Go to your room. It's a heartbreaking movie, but it also fills you with hope. It's a weird combination, but all the characters feel very real. And and there's a couple scenes that just that just kill me, like from a heartbreaking standpoint. But then a couple that I just I crack me up. These kids are all based on real kids. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, I, I mean, I also had an emotional reaction to this movie. I mean, I I know I teared up uh, at least three times throughout watching this. It was my number one for a long time until another indie movie came along. Broken Circle Breakdown, which of doesn't count because yeah. it's foreign, foreign. But yeah. 
But yeah, it was my number. I think it ended up being number two. Yeah. So what's your number one this year then? Or for this? <laughs> yeah, my number good transition. Good yeah, I see what you did there. Uh, my number one is a movie called The Guest. What? Not Short Term 12? <laughs> Short Term 12 is a better movie than The Guest. I will just say that. It is. Uh, but The Guest, I had so much fun watching this movie. It's kind of a, a mix between a suspense, mystery, thriller, comedy. Did I hit everything that it counts? Yeah, yeah I forgot romance action. and horror. Action, action. yeah. yeah. Sci-fi, was... maybe? Uh, actually, yeah, maybe? Actually, yeah, co- possibly. Yeah. yeah, strangely enough. <laughs> but purposeful. I mean, it's purposely all those things. Yeah, and it pulls all of them off very well. Like, I, there are very few movies that I walk out of the theater and I'm like, I had such a great time. I want to do that again. Excuse me, ma'am. Have you ran a pizza? Uh, no. No, she's... She's working at the diner. I'm her, her mother. What she... Did she do something? And it's fine, ma'am. But your daughter, she put in a call to Fort Kenilworth a couple of days ago asking about a man named David Collins. Yes, oh, that's right, she did. You wouldn't happen to have seen anyone resembling this man, would you? This is, um, David. Ma'am, when was the last time you saw him? Well, he, he just went inside. See, and I'm looking at the IMDb rating. Was that a 6.7? The the audiences, I guess, were kind of like mixed on it, but critics loved it. Yeah, you all told I, me to watch this movie, and I haven't seen it yet. It was but. so much fun to me. It, it, it reminded, like, the feeling that I had when I walked out of that movie was like, yes, this is what movies are supposed to do. I walked out of that. I feel awesome. Like, I want to go tell everybody about this movie. And then it sat really well with me for a long time. It's not some masterpiece. I don't want to, like, hype it up as the right. best movie of all time or anything. It's but it's so movie. much fun. Do you it's own it enjoy- by chance? Uh, no. I have a, I have the streaming copy of it, but I don't. Okay. Own you can just give them your voodoo information. I could, and, and I will, it. and you need to watch it. Yeah, Everybody I want to check should it watch out. it. I don't want to go to Hastings to find it. it. It really is. It's just a fun movie. I, I think you know that it's not a great movie, but it, I mean, it is really well done. Dan Stevens is great in it. I'm in love with Dan Stevens now, much like I am with Sam Rockwell. Yeah, he plays his character perfectly because the, basically this character is a real mystery. You don't know if he's good or bad. And he plays it so well, you could see it going either way. He is a soldier that he shows up on the doorstep of of one of his fellow soldiers, and it, who had his, died. Who had died? It, so it's, it's his family, and he goes to give them the news that you know their son had died, and I, I think he gave. This them is something. the message that he wanted. He wanted That's to tell you that he loved you. You know, basically. this director Adam Wingard is the same guy who directed VHS, which I never saw, but I know a lot of people like that movie a lot. Yeah, I've, I've seen it. It it's, was interesting. But it was it, interesting. Basically, he probably comes up with really good ideas and directs them well, pretty well. Uh, this is just a fun movie. It also has a sense of nostalgia to it just because it, it feels kind of 80s. The soundtrack The soundtrack, the is, soundtrack, very soundtrack is very 80s. Ooh, I like that. Like Drive. Like drive. The, the yeah, soundtrack is like yeah, Drive. Yeah, just like that. So I love the soundtrack to it, but having that, that music set in so many different places weirdly gives it a nostalgic feel to yeah. me. Critics, I'm I'm gonna look it up. I'm just curious because it fascinates me that it's only got a 6.7 on IMDb. So I'm really curious to see what it got I let, on Tomatoes. Back to Dan Stevens, he's a great mix of like charismatic, 
and likable, but at the same time, like menacing. menacing yeah. And, and like kind of badass mysterious. all at the same time. Yeah. Badass. Uh, so now I'm really sold on Dan Stevens and I'll, I'll see anything he's in. I'm hoping that his career really takes off. Cause yeah, it's got he's a, very talented. 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, 76 on Metacritic. This movie came out in 2014. So if yeah. you haven't heard of Dan Stevens, that might be why. Yeah, that's true. He's on Downton Abbey. Yeah, right? I think that's really the most notable uh, thing that he's yeah. done. But I'm hoping that he gets more and more stuff because he was really, really good in this, and it was kind of it was a complex role to play. So I, I think he's pretty talented. Oh, oh, he's in Night at the Museum. Yeah, he played. Yeah, he played. Yeah. He was actually really funny. So in that. I haven't seen that, but yeah. yay! No. <laughs> yeah, that's I'm been just... his big follow up to the guests. <laughs> uh, okay, so my number one movie. Is 1996 Swingers, directed yes. by Doug Lyman. Um, now, here we go. Another five guys. Rose. Five guys. Quintet. <laughs> hanging out. You know, just drinking beer. Sex. I noticed that. What's going on? All right. Well, anyway, uh, <laughs> this is definitely a nostalgic movie for me because, I mean, when I was in high school, my buddies and I watched this movie over and over and over again. It's honestly too bad that it has the title Swingers. Because I don't really know what was going on in the 90s, but I don't think it means what it means now. I'm pretty right. sure it, mean, it meant then what it means now. But it really has no relation to the movie. The movie's just five guys who are trying to figure it out, you know, while they're in Hollywood. They're, trying, they're just actors or guys wanting to become actors. Or maybe they're actors who are just trying to make it. Um, but, you know, I, I think what's fascinating about Swingers is you know, it was written by John Favreau. Mm-hmm. Doug Lyman, who went on to do the Bourne series, Edge of Tomorrow, he did Go, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. You know, he went on to do, he went on to do some pretty big movies. Mm-hmm. You know, I heard stories about them just taking their handheld camera and just driving around Hollywood just to film some of these scenes. That's so you great. know, there's one the, the scene where they're in the house at the top of the hill, and they show the, the they show the shot of the entire room looking at them when they when the five of them walk in. You know, half of that were people who were in the acting set. You know, they were um, people who were the lighting or you know mm-hmm. just they were just on just set on the crew. On the crew. And so, I mean, how they made this movie. This movie was made for $200,000. That's insane. Yeah. And I mean, and it supposedly made 74,000 opening weekend. I mean, which is, you know, really small. And then it goes on personally. I hope it's not a lost film. And any person I ever run across. Oh, no. uh, It's it's a cult classic. I I, I tell them they have to watch, especially a dude. I mean, actually, that's not true. Most chicks I know who watch it, they like this movie as well. I liked it. Yeah. it, it, It holds up very well. There's a lot of great jokes. This is what made Vince Vaughn. So if you want yes. to see good Vince Vaughn before he became Wedding Crashers Vince Vaughn, you got to watch Swingers. <laughs> That's it's true. Awesome. I mean, it was produced by Independent Pictures and the Alfred Shea Company, Inc. Never heard of either one of them. Yeah, $200,000 budget. I'd say this qualifies for uh, indie. And uh, by far, my number one favorite. It, it, it's up there with really some of my all-time favorites. I love Swingers. Uh, that's, that's a great choice. That's a great movie. A lot of fun. Uh, also has Ron Livingston in it. And, well, every movie in the 90s had Heather Graham. She's in it, too. <laughs> That's true. So quotable, This movie too. made it on Livingston, too, I believe. So, I think it did. Yeah, so quotable. And it's got an iconic scene in it, too, where he calls the girl over and over <laughs> and over again. And any time, like, you know, I've called a girl for the first time, I think of that. <laughs> what would Mikey not do? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah the great, there's some great uh, quotable lines throughout this movie. So, very good. All right, from one great movie to another. Now, remember, my <laughs> my list is movies that are obscure under the radar that the common man hasn't heard of that I want to recommend you to see. My number one favorite movie, uh, indie movie of all time is Tommy Wiseau's classic, The Room. <laughs> <laughs> It is a classic. It is. A, it it's is a, a cult classic. It's a cult sure. classic. Now, 
Now, Jacob, I told him about this kind of before, and 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 I know he I'm, he thinks I'm, I'm very crazy. much aware of He's this movie. He's not sold on it at all, can't. though. I, I mean, I don't know if I'm on board, but I did see a clip. I mean, it's funny, but it's almost exhausting at the same time. No, no. I guess that's the point of it. Or it's something. it's no. Okay, here's the deal. Let me basically in a nutshell, it's considered the best worst movie of all time. Now, I say that Troll Two has a documentary called The Best Worst Movie. Uh, isn't it that got what it's trumped. Yeah, it got trumped by the room. I mean, this is famously known. I mean, people like okay, for instance, James Franco uh, bought the uh, rights to the book that describes the making of this movie, and which so was James, written by a guy in, in the, movie the movie that was not Tommy right. Wiseau. And and that guy is going to be played by Dave Franco. Uh, I believe. <laughs> Which is uh, great. If you know what Greg Sistro looks like, yes, Dave Franco yes. is a great choice. And James Franco is going to be the lead. Anyways, like Seth Rogen, this whole like, you know, kind of new Hollywood Brat Pack, Jonah Hill, they are crazy about this movie. Paul Rudd. Like there's midnight showings in California and New York all the time, like every month. But, you know, here I saw a midnight showing in Tulsa. I saw a midnight showing in Dallas. And I mean, it's the most fun possibly I've ever had in a movie theater. Let me. Do you have to watch it with a group of people? You don't have to. Sure, but it's sure, definitely I would recommend watching it with at least one other person. The thing that makes this so good: movies like Sharknado are bad movies, but they're intentionally bad. This one, Tommy Wiseau, he's this mysterious man who you know, kind of nobody knew his background. He financed this all himself, spent millions of dollars on it. He'd never made a movie before. He just fell in love with American culture and wanted to make a movie. But he tried so hard to make a good movie. There's a lot of passion behind it. He thinks he made a, a very <laughs> deep, complex drama. And so it's it's not a typical bad movie. It's so horrendously bad while trying to be so amazingly good. Hit her. It's not true. It's bullshit. I did not hit her. I did not. Oh, hi, Mark. Oh, hey, Johnny. What's up? I have a problem with Lisa. She said that I hit her. <sighs> what? Well, did you? No, it's not true. Don't even ask. What's new with you? Well, I'm just sitting up here thinking, you know. I got a question for you. Yeah. You think girls like to cheat like guys do? What makes you say that? I don't know. I don't know. I'm just... I'm just thinking. I don't have to worry about that because Lisa's loyal to me. Yeah, man, you never know. People are very strange these days. I used to know a girl. She had a dozen guys. One of them found out about it, beat her up so bad she ended up in a hospital on Guerrero Street. <laughs> what a story, Mark. Yeah, you can say that again. I'm so happy I have you as my best friend, and I love Lisa so much. Yeah, man. Yeah, you are very lucky. And that's I, what I makes see it that so much fun. IMDb gave it a 3.5, so... I, I rated it a 10, so I don't know I how... I think I also <laughs> gave it a 10. But it's not a 10. Oh, it's, it's, it's a 1. It's a 1, it's but a it's one. a 10. Uh, I bet you if you look at the boats, you can see the breakdown. I bet you you'll see a ton of 10s and a ton of 1s. It's, yeah, yeah, it's mostly 10s It's mostly tens and 1s. 44% 1s, 24% 10s. <laughs> yep, that makes That's, perfect sense, it though. It, you have to give it one or the other. Everybody who gave it a 2 through a 9, I don't know That's, what they were doing. That's why it's Brandon's number 1. Yeah, if I'm going to put yeah, if it's going to be on your list, it's got to be number it's one, or it's just one. not going to be there. Well, I'll yeah. tell you what, y'all find it, I'll watch it with you, because I don't think I could watch it with I anyone own else. It. Because of how much. Because I've never heard it before, y'all brought it up, so I don't think there's. It's, it would be appropriate for me to watch it with anyone yeah. else. So. The common man doesn't know it, but, you know, if you, if you do an internet search, 
it is very, very popular amongst, you know, kind of movie buffs and, and people who enjoy bad movies because it's the best. Of it's the fantastic. Get a group together, have some beers, watch the room. Okay. There you go. That is Pulp Fiction's top five favorite indie movies of all time. Real quick, I actually want to point something out. I'm sorry to do this, but you know, through all the research, there was a lot of movies that I was just really surprised were indies and what they were made for. And so I'm gonna, I wanted to go go through a couple yeah. of these um, just because I was just surprised. Like, okay, so for instance, The Terminator. I did not know that was an indie film. It was that made is for $6.4 million. That's amazing. Yep. Um, so uh, let's see. Juno, seven and a half million dollars. Mm. Uh, Memento, that's a big, that's a huge yeah. cult film. That was yeah. made for nine million. That's an indie film. Uh, I, I wish I could put this on my on my list, but you know, I I just couldn't justify it. But Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles was made for thirteen and a half million. Yeah. Now, when it came out, it was the second uh, largest grossing indie movie of all time. And since since then, it's been flushed up by quite a bit of movies. Um, you know, we actually intentionally left off Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs. Uh, actually, I left off Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind because I mean, I brought it up a couple of weeks ago. We certainly know the impact that those have, especially right. Reservoir Dogs. I mean, really, most of Tarantino's films. Yeah. Right. But, I mean, Boogie Nights, $15 million. That's yeah. actually pretty high. Yeah. Um, you know, Annie Hall, I, was, I always wondered about a lot of Woody Allen movies. Right. You know, Annie Hall was made for $4 million, $4 million but I don't know if it was an indie. Plus, it's made in 77. So... Yeah, you know, just interesting. Napoleon Dynamite made for four hundred thousand dollars. That's crazy. Um, clerks, we need to bring up Clerks yeah, because I am not movie. a fan of Clerks, but I, I, I definitely understand um, the love for it. Uh, it was made for two hundred and thirty thousand um, dollars. I'm just not a big Kevin Smith guy. Oh, that's not true. I just didn't like Clerks. I, I like some of Kevin Smith's later movies, but Clerks just kind of annoyed me. I'm yeah, on that. Um, the same way. Yeah. I like Kevin Smith kind of as a person and what he kind of stands for is this. this Huge movie fan turned director that's still a fan of movies, but I'm just not a huge fan of his movies for the most part. Yep. Uh, about four more I want to bring up. Mean Streets, made for $500,000. That was the third movie that Scorsese did. I mean, yeah. and if you haven't seen Mean Streets, it's a great movie. It came out in the early 70s. Let's see. My Big Fat Greek Wedding. I, yeah. You know, that was a phenomenon what it ended up yeah. doing. It was made for $5 million, and I, I don't have it in front of me what it ended up making, but I know it. I mean, what it's ridiculous. Be a sitcom. I, I, think, so, I think it made over $200 million, if I remember right. I probably. Mean, it, was, it, was, it was absurd. Yeah. Like, looking back on it now, it's so weird that that movie was so big. Yeah, but it, it's a pretty good movie, though. Yeah, it is. For what it is. Uh, and then, of course, I think we definitely need Like, I didn't like this movie. I'm not sure if y'all did or not. But we need to bring up Blair Witch, which was made for $60,000. I loved it. You know, that's a lot of why I wanted to bring up some of these movies and what they were made for. Because $60,000 and what they do just grab two camcorders and a, and a tent yeah. and, you know, and go make that movie. Um, Basically. So it was pretty amazing. I, here's another one I forgot. See, American Beauty. I didn't know that was a, an indie film. There's just a, a lot of stuff out there that you'd be surprised that you looked up. But we didn't bring up Donnie Darko, $4.5 million. Yeah. But, I mean, you'd just be surprised that these were indie films. Yeah, I was shocked when I did research on this list how many movies that became iconic, these huge pillars of Hollywood, were indie movies. Yeah, I actually didn't put some of these on my list because they were made for so much. You know, $15 million for American Beauty, that doesn't seem like an indie movie. Yeah. Right. But I, technically it is. I, I, I don't know. It's kind of tough to tell. That's all I got. Yeah. Well, there you go. The indie episode of Pulp Fiction. I'm sure we'll have more as more indie movies come out that we want to uh, delve into. Be sure to listen next week when we review Marvel's latest Ant-Man. 
The uh, early reviews are promising, if not overwhelmingly. I heard it said it's funny. Yes. Paul Rudd. (laughs) (laughs) That is next week on Pulp Fiction. We will review Ant-Man. Thank you for tuning in this week. Bye-bye.